When Andy did ask me to speak on prayer, I was thinking, oh, I feel such a fraud because, you know, whilst I love the concept of prayer, and I love teaching on it because teaching is my gift, whereas prayer is not. <laughs> so I love to teach on it, and uh, I, I really felt uh, from the Lord with this that I've got to address that. But right up front, I'm going to ask that we pray. Let's just um, commit this time to the Lord for for him to teach, to teach us about this thing that is so important to our Christian lives. Are you all hearing at the back? You're okay? You can hear me at the back? Excellent. Our Father, we just come before you and we want to thank you so, so much for the, the fact that we can talk about something called prayer. Because without prayer, we have no relationship with you. So, Father, it is essential, and I just ask that you would teach us all to uh, take a little bit of a deeper step into what this concept of prayer really is. And so we ask that right now, Holy Spirit, you would be here in this room and filling us all with wisdom and understanding of revelation of just a new understanding of this idea of prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And a big congratulations to South Africa, but I'm actually Zimbabwean, uh, and uh, the relationship uh, is like Canadians to Americans. You know, people, if you're Canadian and you go overseas and people say, oh, you're American, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not, I'm Canadian. Uh, and by the way, I am Canadian now. I've been here for 32 years in Canada, and I love it. So I've been here longer than I've been anywhere else. But uh, my wife and I were born in Zimbabwe and uh, grew up there. Lovely, lovely place. Uh, until it was ruined, but <laughs> it's, still got, uh, it's still got a future. And when, um, when Pastor Andy came, and, and um, by the way, who was in our group on intercessory prayer a little while, while back? Great, some of you were there. Good, it's not all going to be the same, so <laughs> there'll be some, something different. Uh, I went to the Lord and I just asked, okay, um, I feel very comfortable teaching on prayer because I've got many, many different teachings in PowerPoint, just simply because year by year for the last about 10 years I've been adding to it and teaching in various places. Uh, I'm involved with YWAM, that's why I get to teach things like this. Um, and the, it was also a very busy time. I was just about to leave and I just uh, for, for a training session and I just got back last night. But after a week away. So I didn't have much time to prepare, but I felt the Lord saying uh, that this is not a time to go back to those previous notes. Uh, although that is all true, it was mainly about the how-tos of prayer, the six steps of intercessory prayer, um, how to hear God's voice, all of those things which I love. It was more a question of, okay, Mike, how come you're not doing it? Uh, in other words, why do we pray, and sometimes why don't we pray, even though we know how important it is? I think you're all sitting here, so you must feel that it's important. And in a way, I'm feeling very responsible because you've come to learn something from me about prayer, which is so important. But um, what I really felt from the Lord to talk about is more the why of prayer 
and from what is our context in prayer. Because, you know, we can know the method. We can go through the steps, and we can feel really good at the end of our sixth step of intercessory prayer. We have done our duty, and we're quite sure that those prayers have landed. But have we just, have we just done a ritual? Have we just done something because it was for us to feel that we had done our job? And uh, I'm really feeling convicted from the Lord that prayer is so much more than just doing things so that we can tick off prayer, no matter how much we've studied it, no matter even how much we do it. Uh, what is the context of what we're doing? And by that, I mean, what is the relationship that we're doing it in? So this is a, a different kind of talk to how I usually do it. So. I might be a bit disjointed in this because this is new territory, but I felt quite excited as the Lord took me into this concept type of teaching. It's more picturing where we are and what we're doing when we actually say we're praying. So prayer, um, what is it and why do we do it? So I need you to just uh, click on those. Um, I usually do the clicking. So um, we need some kind of sign, right? Uh, so I had a look, uh, because I hadn't really even thought about this, what is prayer? Because it's intuitive, isn't it? Well, prayer is just, you know, we close our eyes and we're communicating. Not everyone has that idea. So I looked up Google, because that's where you look up anything, right? So Google says this, uh, prayer is a solemn request for help or an expression of thanks addressed to God or an object of worship. Like um, you hear about a need and you say, I'll pray for that. Okay, so it's something we do in order to get a result. Or the next one was an earnest hope or wish. You know, I often think when uh, we hear of a tragedy uh, or uh, some real horrible disaster has happened overseas, and even the news announcer will say, and our prayers are with them. And I'm often thinking, what do you mean by that, really? Do you mean, well, you're just throwing out some good feelings into the universe. And I think uh, if we don't catch ourselves as Christians, we can take on the same sort of idea as what's going on in the secular world with prayer, is that, well, it's something we do when we need something. Or it's something we do when we just feel so sorry for something that's happening, we want something to change. But are we going any, are we really getting that message? Are we having a communication with God? That's my present challenge. Uh, this was in a dictionary. Uh, prayer is the activity of speaking to God. So this is now getting a little more personal. A prayer is the words a person says when they speak to God. They should take a little time and say a prayer for people on both sides. I'm not entirely sure what that means. And I think that kind of illustrates that in the secular world, prayer is a very nebulous thing. But I did like that they mentioned that this is speaking to God. Now, on this course I was doing this last week, because, of course, now this is ticking through my mind and everything's going through the filter of prayer. And um, this, this course was at Samaritan's Purse in Calgary. And they are so Christ-centered. It was a wonderful one-week course on DART, Disaster Assistance Relief Team. 
but everything is centered on Christ. And they had a, they had a session, a chapel session on prayer. And I just loved this definition or description of prayer. And it was very much in keeping with the pathway the Lord has had me on this last few weeks. The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something, and then you enter God's realm, where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. And that's Corrie ten Boom. And if you know the story that she was in the concentration camps in, uh, in the Holocaust. So for someone like her to be able to describe her concept of prayer, it's um, where something seems impossible, but you go into God's realm and everything looks different. So um, this takes me back to God's original plan, which is in John 3.8 is the verse I'm going to ask to come up there. But just to set the scene, as you all know, the creation has been taking place over the, last, the first five days. And God is just so intentional. He's making this perfect place. Now, he's not making a perfect place because he likes perfect places. He's making it for the man and the woman to live in. It's all uh, targeted on the man and the woman. And when Adam and Eve are created, he describes that as being the ultimate. That is very good. The other days were good, good. Oh, that's good. Oh, good. I like that. But when Adam and Eve were now created, oh, that is very good. That was the reason he created everything. Why did he create Adam and Eve? So the... There's something here that uh, it gives a little, this was at the time when everything was about to change. But there was time before this when things were going the way it was supposed to have been going, the original plan, which was that God and man would be walking in the cool of the day, man and woman. This is a generic term, man. And this was the idea of God. God didn't have a need, but he had a want. He wanted fellowship with man, and, and man was created for fellowship with God. So if you have this picture that uh, the man and the woman would, maybe on a daily basis, at the end of the day, they would meet up and walk with God, just face-to-face, -face conversation, talking about the day, maybe planning the next day. We know that God gave instructions. He told Adam to go out and, and um, name the animals, to go out and subdue the land. And then you can imagine the next day they were walking. How did that go? That was the original plan, but things changed, as you can see. So something changed where, as the verse carries on, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? which just shows something had gone wrong, but his desire was still fellowship with them. So God's original plan was for friendship with men and women. And the friendship 
had these components, face-to-face -face conversations, shared experiences. And in the garden, there was rest, nourishment, safety. There was wisdom. There was instructions. There was meaningful work. That was the whole idea, the original idea for us to be created to have fellowship with God. It's interesting because just at the time that I was asked to speak about prayer, I was reading this book called Friendship. Friendship with God and friendship with each other. And it talks about the two main pillars for friendship, even with each other, is number one, face-to-face -face communication. Number two, shared experiences. Face-to-face -face communication is really um, kind of natural for the ladies, I've noticed. Not so much for men. I see a lot of men in my practice, I'm a family physician, who have no friends. And it comes out in medical problems, which include anxiety, depression, but all sorts of other things. Because men are not so good at face-to-face -face conversation, like having coffee and that sort of thing. But men are better at shared experiences. So Justin, I was just sitting in on the friendship talk, and that is key for men. Um, if you're having struggles with relationships, what do you like to do? Find someone, find another man who likes to do that. And that's what's worked for me. But it's the same with God. We were created in the same image as God. And he is a fellowship God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had fellowship for eternity. That's how we were created, for fellowship. And these are the keys. But something happened. So all of that, the perfect original plan was... Uh, completely sabotaged by the enemy. And sin came into the world, and that created the barrier to friendship with God. So next. For, next. So this is uh, what happens in chapter 3, verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. <clears throat> now, if you can just uh, use your imagination to just imagine that. The man and the woman were driven out, and this was not because God did not want them, because he created them for fellowship. It was because the sin could not stay in his presence. And to stop that sin coming back, he had to have the cherubim, which are not little um, fat little babies with wings, right? These are enormous and terrifying um, angelic beings with flaming sword to stop the man and the woman. So there's the perfect arrangement in the Garden of Eden, and that gate back is blocked with this very terrifying uh, picture. But you know, God's love didn't change then. The ability for man and woman to get into his presence changed, but he never stopped loving. So this is how it says in the next verse, for great is your love higher than the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And one of my favorite verses is in John chapter 10, and this is where we're going to camp for a little bit. 
And this is my picture of prayer now, that I've got this concept that God has given me personally, and might help you too. This is what Jesus says. Um, go back to John chapter 10, verse 9. Does it say that? Should be the next thing. Okay. Well, just click another, another one. There. Okay. So uh, this is a picture of prayer that I'd like to uh, present. Jesus is, is now describing his own function. I am the gate. Now, we've just talked about the gate, right? Into the presence of God, which has this flashing, flaming sword. Very dangerous. Death. Jesus said, I am now your gate. He went to that place, which represents the cross. Those flaming swords that were put there because of man's sin, Jesus took that. And he is now the gate. And he was successful over death. He came back. So he is now that gate back into the place of the presence of God where the tree of life is. That is him. So this is a picture for me when I'm praying, when I'm using the six steps of intercessory prayer, or where I'm using the ACTS acronym, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. First of all, I'm going to go to that place. I'm going to go to that gate, which is Jesus. And Jesus says, anyone who comes through me will be saved. So the first time you come through that gate, and I don't know, perhaps there's someone today who's not actually ever gone through that gate the first time. But the first time, that is when you go through that gate and all of your sin is stripped off by the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's why you have access, free access into the presence of God. That is stripped off. So a picture of prayer is coming in through the gate of Jesus. And that gives us restored friendship. All right. So, so, so funny. But you're doing great. But <laughs> we've just got different screens. So what happens when we come into the presence of Jesus and then we go further? The rest of that verse, if you can go back to that verse, verse uh, John 10, verse 9, was you, you come in through Jesus and you'll be saved. Now, most people know that verse, but for the longest time, I did not even notice the second part of that verse. And that is my picture of prayer. It says, they shall come in and go out. Do you notice that? We're not to go through Jesus once. We're to come in and go out. And then what will they find? Pasture. You're going to go in and go out and find pasture. So what is pasture? Think of it. Uh, think of the fields with, where you have your sheep. What, what is pasture? Give me some words. You've seen them already. <laughs> what, what would a sheep get in pasture? Pardon? Nourishment. Good, you can, you can get it. So uh, there's a pictorial there, and I like pictures. So you go in and go out. What are you getting? You're getting nourishment. You're getting rest. So if you're out, 
in our lives, in our busy lives, and you're exhausted, you can go in through Jesus, and there's pasture, there's rest, there is a safe place. Okay, it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. When you have the Father, God Almighty, creator of the whole world, and you go in to that pasture with that shepherd, you are safe. You get wisdom, instruction. You get face-to-face -face conversation. And you also get shared experiences. What do I mean by shared experiences? So uh, this is part of our teaching on intercessory prayer, that we are partners with God in this world. We are now the body of Christ, right? So where do we get our instructions? It's when we go in and out into this place of pasture. That's where we can receive those instructions. And uh, those instructions are for us to go out and do them and then come back for refreshment and replenishment. Uh, what happens if we just go into that pasture and, and just decide that you're going to lie down and not do anything that God is saying? Well, that's not a relationship. That's not friendship. So um, shared experiences is one of the ways, even between us, we have friendship. It's the same with God. And some personal experiences which have boosted my relationship with God, they're all about shared experiences. Uh, I think back hmm, 18 years when uh, very, very busy with our young family, and my wife and I both really felt that the Lord was telling us to go off and do a discipleship training school, which means seven months away with our young family, big mortgages, all sorts of things. We think, really, God? That sounds very difficult. And it was in Australia. It's a long way away. <laughs> uh, Perth, Australia. So, but we went, and that was 18 years ago. And because of that, there's been so much fruit in our family and hopefully in other people because of what that little step of, of um, doing what we heard him say in that safe place. Mm -hmm. um, and there's many other examples. It's when we take that step, Sometimes it's scary, but we take that step. We have shared experiences with God, and our friendship deepens. Same with each other. When we have shared experiences, our friendship will deepen. If you keep saying no to God, your, your relationship is not going to deepen. You won't have those shared experiences. And the face-to-face -face communication is going to start to become pointless because you're not doing... Uh, anything that God is prompting you to do. So obedience is just key when it comes to um, being in the pasture place of God. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out. Come in and go out. That is the phrase I want you to go away with. Uh, prayer is coming in and going out. You know, sometimes I think as Christians we come to Jesus... And we stop there, and we give Jesus praise, and then we go away. Jesus doesn't say, come to me. He says, come through me. He says, come through me. You will be saved, and then keep coming and going, and you'll be in a place of pasture. Think of that gate with the flaming swords. That was stopping the sinful man and woman getting back into the presence of God. We no longer have that barrier. We can go back into the presence of God the Father. That is the point. 
That's why Jesus said, when you pray, you don't say, dear Jesus, I love you and let's have a great day today. You say, our Father who art in heaven. It's a matter of, yes, we can pray to Jesus. I'm not saying don't pray to Jesus, but I'm saying Jesus says there's more. Come through me. Come in and out. Make this a habit, and you're coming into a safe place of pasture. So this is a, just a little pictorial to have in your, in your mind. And the next. So uh, in this place where we have gone in through Jesus, you have all of these, friendship with men and women, face to face. That should actually say friendship with God. <laughs> I was just replacing this very quickly today. Uh, friendship with God, face-to-face -face conversation, shared experiences. In the garden, there's rest, nourishment, safety. What does that sound like? That sounds like what we were describing as the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? And that was the point. That was the point of Jesus coming and saying, I am now your door, is to go back into that place of the presence of God. So I hope this, is this hitting home at all? That this is maybe a slightly different way to conceptualize prayer. It's helped me that when I pray, it's not just, okay, I'm just shooting this prayer out somewhere. You're going, first of all, through Jesus, that we always pray through Jesus, right? In Jesus' name. But we're not stopping there. We're going into the presence of God where we receive that safe place and all of these other things. Now, the next slide is what can happen. What's the difference with this gate? It's closed. So what can happen is that same as in the Garden of Eden, the enemy does not want us to have free communication with the Almighty God because that's where our power is. So what did he do? He created these barriers to friendship with God. And just think about this, and think about does this happen now with Jesus our gate, when we're coming to pray? You see, what my mind was thinking about, what stops me? I know how important it is. What stops me coming back to pray? This is exactly what Satan said, remember, to Adam and Eve. Did God really say? So I don't know about you, but I have doubts. And when I come to pray, I have doubts that it'll be effective. Jesus, uh, Satan's doing the same to, to us today, to close that door. You won't die. Lies. Satan's the father of lies. The fruit was pleasing. Temptations. Does anyone get temptations? Temptations? Oh. You in the back, come see me afterwards. <laughs> all right. So uh, all of the rest of you are tempted by lying, right? <laughs> One honest guy. So temptations. Um, and then with temptations, what comes? Shame. If we have fallen into some sin, oh, we can't go back. That, that door's closed. Now, God didn't close the door. We close it because of shame. And then what happens? We hide from God because we have things, maybe from the past. Perhaps things were done to us, which makes us shamed. And we don't want to go, we think God won't accept us, which is a lie from the enemy. So the same thing that Satan did 
to the first man and woman, he will do to us to have us close that door. So how do we open that gate again? Just remember that if that gate is closed, if you have gone through that gate, you are saved. Jesus says that clear. If you come through me, you will be saved. Just watching here. Um, so that your salvation is not the issue. It's your relationship ongoing with God and your friendship with God and your ability to pray is what we're talking about. And that door can be closed. And do you remember in Revelation 3.20, Jesus is saying to Christians, he's saying to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man open that door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. That is the heart of God, is fellowship. And we can close that because of those factors that Satan keeps on firing at us. They are not true because Jesus is now the gate. But Satan knows our weak spots. He knows our past. He knows the ways that he can get to us. So um, just remember that the door can close. And if you're feeling that when you pray, you're praying against a closed door, you need to just ask the Lord to open your eyes to what it is in your heart that has closed that door. He has not closed it. So what do we do? Well, Luke 15, 17. Who can just say what that story is? Who knows your Bible? That's it. There's a whole thing of lost things and the prodigal son or the lost son. So remember, the son went to the father and said, look, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you die. I want all the stuff. I'm going to go off and enjoy my life. And the father, in his grace, gives him his inheritance and he goes off. He thinks that he's going to get a great life with all the pleasures of the world. And he, he spends everything he had to get all the pleasures of the world and didn't find fulfillment. In fact, he came to the end of himself. And then what happened, and then it says there, when he came to his senses. So he was certainly out of fellowship with his father. Now he was still the son, right? He was still part of the family. So we as Christians, we can still be part of the family. We have, back in the day, we accepted Jesus as our Savior. Since then, and maybe for a while, you had that wonderful going in and going out and finding pasture. And then after a while, maybe you slipped into some sin or uh, Satan started to remind you of shameful things in your past, which actually are all washed off but he's reminding you, and you're closing that door. So now you're, you pray and you feel, oh, I don't know, I don't know if this is getting anywhere. It's like you take your prayers and you, you put it through a little slot in that gate, hoping that God on the other side will hear your prayer. The fact is that gate could swing right open if you opened it. So if you're feeling like that, if you're feeling, oh, I'm getting nowhere in my prayers, then it might be time that you came to your senses. It might be time to say, okay, I've been playing around in the world too long. I've been looking in the wrong places for my fulfillment. I've not been hearing 
and doing what God has been telling me when I go into that secret place. When that son came to his senses, what happened? He started to go back very sheepishly, but the father from afar off saw him coming and ran to him. That is what you can expect. That door will swing wide because that was God's original plan for you. And those things that are keeping you back, that are making it so that you don't feel that there's any point in praying, those things, you can come to your senses and have them taken off of you. And start this relationship again, coming and going and finding pasture. So at this point, how much time do we have, Darren? Okay. Because there was a... At this point, I could go on to another module, which is a sort of um, um, our authority as believers in the heavenly realm. Because now we have a relationship and an understanding with God, the Father, that um, it puts us in a position of amazing, amazing authority. If you can just understand how, um, once you understand who you are in Jesus and the fact that you are a friend of God, is that even possible, by the way? Is there any examples of, the, of a friend of God in the Bible? Yes? Abraham, yes. Anyone else? Enoch, he walked with God. Moses, that's right. And David was a man after God's own heart. You could say that's a friend. I would even throw in the New Testament the Apostle John, because he's the, the disciple who Jesus loved, right? But I think they were all his friends. He just loved that title. So um, we can be friends of God, and there's no reason why not, because Jesus has taken the barrier away. It's like the veil in the temple that was rent in twain when Jesus died, and it was rent from the top to the bottom so that we could walk through. I think sometimes we walk through once, and then we, when we come out, we start to stitch it up with these feelings of condemnation and shame and the other things that Satan does to us. We must rip that open again, because um, it is open. Okay, I'm just going to go to Ephesians 1.19. That's a couple of slides on. And this is what it says. I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. For us, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. He is far above all of those things, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. All right, the next slide. Okay, is this, a, is this a good picture? Go to the next slide. That's a, that's a terrible picture, but it's more accurate, right? I, mean, I don't want to get all space age here. But to, sometimes we think that Jesus and Satan, they... 
they've got this arm wrestle going on because, and sometimes Satan's winning and sometimes Jesus is winning. There's just no comparison. It's like the elephant and the flea. There's just, you cannot have a picture which shows Satan uh, if, if you've got Jesus in the same picture. So I'm just going to give you two or three slides into this next very exciting place. Because we were not just, um, the whole idea of us having a relationship with God was not just to have a nice, comfortable time in the garden. It was so that we can be uh, partners with Jesus. And this is what he does. Ephesians 2 verse 6. Just think of that. God raised Jesus, the power to the most highest place above all authorities, kingdoms, rulers. And then he says this amazing, strange thing. That God raised us up, you and me, with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that seems a little unbelievable to me. Because Jesus is higher than any other now. Everything else is way many miles below him in terms of authority, structure, power, everything. And now he invites us up to sit. When you're seated in heavenly realms, you're in a place of authority. Seated in heavenly realms. What is the heavenly realm? Any idea? Just go to that picture that you are seated in heavenly realms. So we are seated. It doesn't say you will be seated when you get to heaven. It's present. What was that? The spiritual realm or the spiritual world. And where is it? I agree with you. I heard someone. Don't be shy. Here. Thank you. Yeah, I heard that. And I saw it. Yes. Now, just think back. Um, think back to Elisha's servant. Do you, does anyone remember that picture? Elisha and his servant, they're being surrounded by the enemy, the enemy army. And Elisha's servant says to him, what are we going to do? And Elisha just prays a simple prayer. God, open his eyes. And the veil was turned back. And suddenly, all around, chariots of fire were around them. They were there all along. The spiritual world is here all around us, all the time. The heavenly hosts. Uh, there's the angels and the demons. They are around us all the time. Not so much here because they hate praise and worship to God. But they are trying to get in trying to get into our minds. But um, heavenly places, that's where we are seated. So go on to the next one. So do you need help finding your seat? We are seated in heavenly realms. Can you picture that you are seated with Jesus and everything that you're praying for, if it's to do with the enemy, and most of the time it is, it's way, way down there. 
Because where you're seated is higher than any other authority power that can exist. And it's way down there. So you're seated with Jesus. Or in our picture of the garden, you've gone in and out, and you're seated in there in the pasture with God, and you have something on your mind. You're saying to God, what should we do about that? That thing right down there. You know, sometimes we're overwhelmed by something the enemy's doing in our life, and we're thinking we're getting pressurized. But if you can change your concept that we are seated in heavenly places, there's nothing above us. It's all way, way below. And we're seated with Jesus. And we can discuss with him in the peace of that place, the heavenly place. We can discuss what should we do. So we're praying from a sense of peace, not from a sense of fear, which often I do. I'm sure we all do. So I think we should just stop there because, um, yeah, I've got like hundreds of slides, <laughs> and we have to stop somewhere. But I, I've presented two different concepts, um, and they're a little bit undeveloped, especially the first one about the Garden of Eden and the, the open door. Um, that's, I find that very encouraging for me. But uh, if we can have some discussion, uh, anyone got anything? Uh, we, can, we can call it Q&A, but I don't like to be seen as the authority, but I'll certainly give an opinion. Is there, a, is there a mic to go around? I'll take that one. We've got the one just here. Okay. So if you have a question, just put up your hand. So this, this is actually being recorded, all these sessions are. So for those that you missed out on, you can certainly go back later on and watch those. But for the record, we'd ask that you would just uh, state your name and then the question, maybe it's a thought that you've got regarding the material that Mike's presented. Maybe it's a question from your own spiritual life. But if you put your hand up, I'll find you. I'll bring the mic to you and we'll go from there. Uh, Pastor, I have uh, questions. Uh, my question is, I believe in God. I believe the Holy Spirit is God, and I believe Jesus is God. So when I pray, so can I pray for the Holy Spirit only, or can I pray for uh, Jesus only, or can I pray for God the Father only? Thank you. Thank you. That, that's a great question. <clears throat> so... When we pray, who do we pray to, right? So every um, person in the Godhead, now this is my opinion, and I'm not a theologian, but I have thought about this same thing. Um, every part of the Godhead is God, and worthy to be worshipped, worthy to be praised, and worthy to be prayed to. However, the different parts of the Godhead, I also feel, have different roles in my life, and Jesus was the Savior, the first one I come to when I'm approaching God, because he's my door. That's what he calls himself. He's my door. And I come in through Jesus. And Jesus says he's the doorway to somebody. That somebody is God the Father. And now I have free access into the presence of God the Father. And the Holy Spirit was sent to comfort us all and is with us all always from the time, the first time we go through that door 
of Jesus and we are saved, the Holy Spirit is deposited within us. But, like we prayed this morning, we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And as far as praying to the Holy Spirit, my prayer to the Holy Spirit usually is, please fill me up and pray through me. <laughs> because that's one of the Holy Spirit's um, functions. So to pray through me, to direct my prayers, to um, give me revelation and wisdom, I think that's all part of the Holy Spirit's function. But um, that's just how, how it sort of separates in my mind. But they're all divine. Does that help? Don't, don't want to confuse anyone. Uh, there was one here first, I think, and then we go there. Thank you. Um, I'm Linda, and my question is sort of, how do you discern the difference between sort of naming and claiming and uh, claiming the authority of Christ so that, say, you're praying for healing for someone, and I believe that when you pray for healing, that prayer is answered because God desires that people wouldn't be suffering, but that healing may not come in a way that we can recognize easily. But so I want to, you know, like sometimes you hear pray for big things or whatever. So, but, but you don't want to put parameters on God mm -hmm. either. So how do you pray in confidence um, for like, obviously being guided by the promises of God is key so that you're not praying outside of the will of God. Right. But how do you pray with confidence but not be scripting and be forcing something that's not there? I think that's a great question. When people say, I think that's a great question, usually it's because, wow, I don't know what to say. <laughs> no. But... Um, I think that is now touching into the whole subject of intercessory prayer where we're coming to God to ask for him to give us the right prayers for a situation because we don't always know God's will. Sometimes we do because it's quite clear in the Bible uh, in certain circumstances what God's will is to do. Uh, if someone is struggling whether they should, say, um, divorce their wife and marry uh, someone else, um, for, for no good reason. Okay, let's not get too deep into that. Um, I, I don't think we need to pray too hard for guidance there uh, because the Bible is, is there and addresses that. But if it's another situation where we just don't know what God's will is, then there's the steps that we take to uh, seek God and to hear God's voice on it. And this is something that um, it's an imperfect science, but we have the steps of intercessory prayer laid out through the scripture as to uh, take, um, as we come into God's presence, we clear our minds of our agendas, like you were saying, parameters around God, um, taking away our ambitions and desires for that, and just putting it on the altar, um, asking the Holy Spirit for direction, protection against the influence and attack of the enemy 
on our decision-making process and our prayers. And then spending time actually in active listening. And prayer is part of a dialogue, a conversation. So in active listening, we need to practice active listening as to what does God sound like to you or to you or to me? God is very creative in how he speaks to us. In the Bible, we have multiple ways God's spoken. The still, small voice. He's spoken through angels. He's spoken through burning bushes. He's spoken through donkeys. Um, he's, he will speak to us. And that was one thing I had to learn, is that God has been speaking to me all through my life, and I didn't recognize it until someone pointed it out to me, that something that I had said was prophetic. It was something God needed to tell someone else, and I just thought it was me being clever. And I realized, oh, but I've been getting those thoughts often. And, oh, that's God. For me, it was a, a sort of a, a light going on. So the whole idea of praying in God's will, it's a going in and out through that gate and spending time in the, in the garden, in the presence of God. And it's where, like I was trying to describe, where sitting there seated with Christ and we're looking down and we're not telling Christ what to do. We're saying, oh, this is the issue on my heart. What do you think? We're in that relationship. So it's, that's my, my approach to that. Yes, uh, thank, you. thank you, Mike. My name is also Mike. Hi, Mike. Uh, hi. <laughs> uh, my question may be a little bit difficult for you, but um, in my experience, uh, in, in your experience, how much does emotions and feelings play in the, se in the sense of your prayer life? Because often we are moved by feelings and emotions, but that might not be at all the Holy Spirit. It might right. be something in, in us. Yes. That's a great, I, that's a great um, question because... That often is what is provoking us to pray in the first place, is our emotions about something. Um, perhaps we, there, there's a, a terrible tragedy or a sickness or something fearful that is about to happen. Uh, and that's the posture we go to God in. You know, God knows that we're human beings and we come to him with emotions. And I think he wants us to come as we are. And the peace of God is a gift that he will give us. But it's, I'm, I keep coming back to this picture because it really helps me, um, that I'm going into the presence of God, the Almighty. And I'm going through Jesus and he's stripping off all of that. And I can say to God, I'm feeling whatever the emotion is. I'm feeling fearful. I'm feeling really anxious. I'm feeling really nervous. Can I just nestle in with you in this safe place until you can replace that with your fear, with your revelation of what to do next? And just, I would just sit there and, and allow God to work in your heart in that one. He's not scared of our emotions. He wants us to come with them. We mustn't try and get ourselves right before we go back to God. We just go as we are. How many more minutes do we have, uh, Darren? We've probably got about five more minutes. So okay. two more questions, if, uh, sure. if we have them. 
I'm wondering what what role, if any, the the sacraments play in in your prayer life. Do do you reflect on on the cross and specifically on on the bread and the wine, perhaps on your baptism as you pray um, as as part of the stripping? And are there any disciplines, let's say, that have come down through human uh, through through church history? Right. Um, uh, and maybe perhaps in our own sort of charismatic uh, tradition more recently as well that right. that that um, that you would counsel that we draw upon mm -hmm. as as we seek to have the burden of our sin um, uh, uh, stripped away so that we can enter into the this uh, this fellowship with God. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah, my my Christian journey as a teenager was in the Christian Brethren Church. We had breaking your bread every Sunday morning. And it, it uh, is so powerful, the breaking of bread or communion service. And I, I missed that. Um, it was the whole service. It wasn't just a little bit. And um, it is a very powerful reminder and a testimony. And in fact, the, um, the Bible talks about the testimony of uh, communion, of the breaking of bread as spiritual warfare. Because if you can imagine we're in the spiritual realm, surrounded by angels and demons, uh, mainly angels in, in um, the situation of breaking of bread, but, you know, the whole spiritual realm is watching. And what we're saying, as long as we are um, interacting with this um, in our consciousness, what we are saying is that because of the blood of Jesus, um, we have victory because the, the body broken for me, that uh, we now have victory over all the enemy. What a powerful statement in the heavenly realm that is. I think it's a very, um, if we can keep that in mind and it's not just becoming just a rote thing as things are going down the, we've got to though discipline our minds to make the most of that opportunity. Uh, baptism is a wonderful witness. I would call that more of an evangelistic witness, actually. And it only happens the once, unfortunately. But we could... Uh, I would say that that is a, a, a time of celebration and praise for everything that God's done. It pictorializes what God has done spiritually, taking us down into the uh, tomb, death of our old selves, and rising in newness of life. I would say that's a witness to the people around uh, other disciplines you mentioned, like um, fasting, for instance. I think there's a lot of power in fasting, but I don't do it. <laughs> my, my wife does it. I should have her to come up and testify to it. Uh, it's not something that I have um, really pursued myself, but it is definitely scriptural and biblical, and I would like to uh, learn more about that. I think it's a very powerful thing. I think one thing that we need to be careful about with, with rituals and traditions and um, things maybe that have been passed down through the ages, that they're still spiritually significant to us. They haven't just become a tradition and part of our service that we tick off. But everything like that can be very helpful. Uh, Back earlier in my Christian life, we used to attend an Anglican service where they had a liturgy. But those words are amazing. If you read those words and pray them, 
you're taken into the presence of God because it's describing what has happened for us by Jesus. But of course, the danger is that it just becomes something rote that we do without thinking. So I do definitely believe in disciplines and things like that, as long as they haven't become a rote thing. Any final questions? Got time for one last question, if there is. Okay. Mike, any final thoughts? You've got about a minute to wrap up. Well, it's, it's been a, a long day. I just am very impressed with your ability to keep attention. Um, I'm very sensitive to people nodding off, <laughs> and no one has. So thank you for that. Um, this is such a huge topic, and I had left other slides in case we had time, because they're really exciting as we go into what is our role in the spiritual realm. And it's something that is really worthwhile um, searching out for yourselves. So um, the whole idea of the, the, the heavenly realm and, what, and our function in there, there are five references to the heavenly realm in Ephesians. You can just look those up and look at them individually. That will be inspirational. When you realize the heavenly realm is just around us, and if we pulled back the veil, we would see that we are in it already. So um, thank you for your attention. Let me just pray as we, as we um, disperse. Our Father, I just uh, ask that you would take um, these rough concepts of beautiful and huge uh, ideas, which are truth, that you would turn them into revelation for each one of what we individually need to know and hear today. I pray that you take away anything that is not of you and that you would in, um, magnify what is of you in our minds. And may we go deeper in our daily walk with you. Help us to regularly go into that uh, secret place where we are completely free of the encumbrances that the devil tries to put on us. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for peace in Christ. And we also thank you that you um, enable and empower us to go out and be your hands and feet in this world. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.